um, what poetry allows me to do is to be completely free and unstructured with what I want to say and um, to make it perhaps beautiful or just perhaps, you know, funny or random, um, to make it something, even if it's in still a big jumble, which I, I think most of my poems are quite jumbled. And I think poetry can be sort of lavish in that way. You can put whatever you want in it. Wide Open, a project of the Open Book at 201 Ponsonby Road. Uh, I'm Anna Livesey. I've still got the cold that you will have heard in the two previous episodes. We record them three in one night, so it's not a three-week cold, although you'll be receiving these in three weeks. Um, I know you will have been hanging out for them. So in this episode, we are talking to Sophie Van Wardenberg and um, a young poet with stuff that's been published in Starling and a few other places as well. I think we could look at her as an up-and-comer. I really enjoyed reading your work, Sophie, and it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, it's so a pleasure to be here. Um, so please start by reading us something. Sure. This poem is called Do Not Blame Me For Loving The 2003 Film Love Actually Because it should snow All the dogs should wear stupid shoes Noses are beautiful at Christmas when you're in love even when you're a grown man, a body double in a porn film, airports are beautiful. If you don't cry, the beach boys at Heathrow and people in love immediately again, you're not worthy to criticise. Even the planes hold hands between their gates. Though this does not happen and the flowers wilt from changing arms, I know I am wrong. Colin Firth and Bill Nye and Emma Thompson should make better art. Snow does not look like that. Body doubles probably do not fall in love. You cannot blame me, it is maths to like the 2003 film Love, actually. An idiot in a cold street, unfairly criticised pie, a lobster in a nativity, every possible demonstration of easy emotion, nipples censored by Christmas hats. Sometimes we like bad films, just like sometimes we choose bad poems to read at christenings and the funerals of loyal pets, and later we are embarrassed. They belong in cross-stitch, in hospital waiting rooms. Instead, pin them to our child hearts that love whatever they feel. Sometimes the things that hurt shouldn't hurt too much. Love, like snow, shouldn't care if you can't speak its language. Should fall you into it anyway. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, so I have, I have some questions about your poetry, but first of all, I want to ask you about bad poetry and funerals and other <laughs> such things. Of course. Um, as, as a poet... Talk to me about um, the uses of bad poetry. I mean, bad poetry is really comforting and sometimes it's not even bad. It's just you've heard it probably seven times already. I mean, just the same poems like Do Not Stand at My Grave at Weep. It's very helpful. It's it's not the newest poem ever or the most groundbreaking one. But um, I think it's helpful to be able to read it and for people to be able to hear it and for it to be familiar and maybe cliched and overused. Um, I think there's like there's comfort in, I mean there's comfort for me in rewatching the film Love actually every year, and there's comfort in rereading the same poems and hearing the same rhymes and, um, in the most jarring situations it's just it's it's easy yeah I think there's room for bad poetry um, and there's room for easy poetry even though that's maybe not the best and the most the best use of craft it's just 
it's it's nice to have <laughs> it's nice to have do not stand at my grave and weep even though you've probably heard it too many times and you don't listen to the words anymore mm, yeah. that's a very generous and kind of graceful approach to <laughs> the human uses of poetry you know there yeah. are the poets uses of poetry and there are poets 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 poems um, Definitely. And then there are the human uses of poetry, and they don't always cross over, and they're both valid, you're saying. Yeah. Which is very kind of you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, it depends what mood you're in, really, and what kind of, not not really what kind of person you are, but what you need. Um, I mean, there's been heaps and heaps of debate, um, especially recently, about Instagram poets. And um, I'm not one, and I don't want to be one, but I mean, there are poets like Rupi Kaur and um, people like her write poetry and some people say it's not poetry and they post it on Instagram and it's very short and it's very um to use the sort of word that's not a word like relatable um and people connect with it and I think it's got a place and especially young girls connect with it young teenage girls um and if it makes sense to you I think it's gonna connect with you and maybe it will lead you to discover more poetry and that's sort of what people hopeful but even if it doesn't I think there's a place for Instagram poetry I think there's a place for you know the Tumblr blogs with the cliched similes I think there's a place for all of it because um there's no there's no limit to how many words you can put out in the world yeah hopefully and I don't think there should be anything there's no place yeah no rules no yeah exactly and I don't think we should ever get there um that you can either read it and critique it or not read it but it shouldn't be stopped I don't think yeah nor can it be. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So leading on to other poems, so that's great because one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was your origin story as a poet. Mm-hmm. So just looking at your work and seeing that you've had some things published and you put a lot of time and effort into this, you obviously think of yourself as a poet. And talk to me about when that happened and why and what it means to you. Yeah, I mean, um, I've sort of always written um, from when I was... Before I started school, my grandma told me to write and read. So I started school sitting in the corner reading Aesop's fables while everyone read their like, little primer readers, um, which was a really stupid thing to do. And uh, then I wrote about 16 pages about every weekend, and we did our recounts on Mondays. I don't know, I think the way I processed... Oh, excuse me, you did your recounts? Yeah, I did our recounts, our writing recounts of our weekends, and I wrote 16 pages about going to the warehouse and buying a Barbie doll. I remember this vividly when I was about six. Um, and I don't know, I think the way I, the way I process things is to write them down and the way I like remember things. So I think I've always written for that. Um, but I mean, it's definitely when I've, when I started writing in high school and um, so many things to competitions and um, I had a teacher at high school who was really, really encouraging and showed me new ways to go and new things to read and, um, sort of made me what, what were you given to read that made it was important to you and made a difference um there was a book by Emma McBride um called a girl is a half-formed thing that I remember really vividly it's not poetry it's a novel but it's uh written um very singularly it's it's sort of free and direct discourse slash a stream of consciousness and it sort of just goes on and on and um that book changed the way I saw the limits of prose and poetry so that was that and then um there was just a whole lot there was this poem going back to poems that you read at funerals there's this poem called kindness by Naomi Shihabnai and um our teacher gave it to everyone that she taught and um it it was just a poem full of heart and it struck 
been so important to her and carried such messages. And there was just a whole pile of stuff. Um, she made me read Dickens and Oscar Wilde. And then there was Jane Austen, who I realised was funny, which was changed my life. And um, just a whole pile of things. I've never really read anyone properly. Like, I haven't read all of Jane Austen and I haven't read all of Dickens. But I've I mean, read all of Dickens, listeners. You're very it's impressive. You're it's very amazing. impressive. I read it on holiday oh for goodness. about 10 years. That's <laughs> what I just took on holiday. Dickens, I can highly recommend it. I, what I'm joys you so have ahead of you? And what joys I do? I mean, I'm excited, just a bit daunted. But I mean, there's just there's just a whole pile, and um, there's Louise Gluck also um, was one of the um, books, and Mary Bruflay, and um, those books of poetry um, were pretty vital in leading me into the things that you could do. I mean, I, I've never really had a poetic hero, but. Um, I, I just like to read different stuff and have it all jumble in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that particular teacher was super encouraging and um, opened doors to me. She told me to submit to Takahe, which I did, and I got a piece published there. And it's just things that lead to you seeing yourself as a published writer are quite important, I think. Um, yes. And that means that you can be part of the world and not just someone who writes in their bedroom, which is also very viable way to be a poet um but yeah it was just that's a very long and rambly story but um it's just always bit by bit um it's the way I've thought of the world is through writing and then I have wanted to improve that and share that and um and is it just poetry for you do you write other things um, as well it's not just poetry poetry is what I do the most and what I find the most natural but um Home. yes it is um and sometimes I feel like that's just because it can be very short so I can write a poem quite quickly and then put I'm it away I'm so right there with yeah. you um, so right there with whereas, you how do you even revise prose I just don't, so much it. It I just, don't understand where do you start and where do you end I don't I don't get it I think fiction writers are truly amazing and I I hope to write more fiction I mean, I don't hope, I try, um, but it's just, it takes such a long time. So much and, effort. Yes, yeah, so Dear much Lord. effort. And um, I, I really respect the the craft of, of poetry, of course. I mean, it's what I love to do, but um, it can happen in short bats and you don't have to live in the same poem forever. You can write a different one. Um, but I'd love to, I've written a couple of essays. Um, creative nonfiction is a genre that I really love to read and I'd love to write more of, but yeah, it's just... It's a different way of telling stories that I think works for some things and not others. And sometimes poetry works and sometimes I need to be more focused on writing long sentences, which is <laughs> hard and takes effort, yes. Yeah, creative nonfiction is amazing and also hard work, I think. Mm -hmm. So one of the themes I noticed coming through your poems was about home and place and being away from home. Mm -hmm. um, I want to be far away, but I want to be home. So what's important to you about the idea of home and how does your poetry help you to work that out? Um, I suppose I've never really known what home is for me. Like I, I've never um, pinned it on one house or one city, but I've lived in Auckland almost my whole life. Um, so I suppose it holds, even if I don't see it as holding everything home is, I think it sort of does. Um, I was born in London as well, so I think part of the 
storyteller in me always thought that there was a gap between London and Auckland but honestly I don't remember the years I spent there when I was a baby so I think it's just it's always living in New Zealand for me feels like I'm living really far away from everything else um it is true we are far away yes. from everything else consult a map and you will yes, discover this I think it's true. yes probably quite factual um but in my mind I feel like it's in the corner um which is a strange way to think about it and I always wanted to travel and I still want to travel a lot and I'm I spent six months in London on exchange which is not very long but I loved it and um I I love to be other places and yet when I'm in those other places all I can think of is is coming home and I think what poetry helps me to do is not just with place and situation but with everything is I mean I want a lot of things all the time and it helps me to want those things and express wanting so many things and being indecisive about what the thing is that I want right now because I can just put it all in together and those things can exist together um like I I want to be living in a particular city that is far away from where I am right now but I also want to be where I'm right now with my comforts around me so I think poetry is sort of the comfort it bridges the gap and my mental picture of how poetry works for me as a poet um, everything goes into one big bucket in my mind and then some things are drawn out and I think that not everybody's mind works like this some people's minds have quite elaborate filing systems where they put some things and they you know can be decisive but what you say about um, putting all the things down you know that to me there's almost a sense of um, release and relief when you've captured that ache into a poem that's now on the page um yeah I mean definitely I think um what poetry allows me to do is to be completely free with that and unstructured with what I want to say and um to make it perhaps beautiful or just perhaps you know funny or random um to make it something even if it's still a big jumble which I I think most of my poems are quite jumbled and I think Poetry can be sort of lavish in that way. You can put whatever you want in and it doesn't have to be a firmly structured paragraph. It doesn't have to argue any point, I don't think. Um, and some poems are very cohesive in what they're saying, but um, also just the, the wild freedom that you have when you're writing a poem to chuck a whole lot of things, concrete images in there, and to have that work because why wouldn't it work? There's nothing wrong with it. Um and yeah, it's just it's just a huge freedom, which is is a really cool thing. Um, I think the bucket, yeah, that sort of works for me. I heard a writer in a workshop uh, a couple of years ago say it's like a compost heap, um, which is also really helpful. I think you sort of have a compost heap in your mind, but I think that sort of evokes um, nasty smells. So I think mm. a bucket's probably nicer. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think everything just gets jumbled, and the jumble is sort of part of the joy. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that word lavish. <laughs> um, I talk about, I think about things being Baroque, as mm-hmm. in, oh my God, how do we even get to live this life with all these mad curly cues and yeah. like wondrous <laughs> things that are totally non-essential and amazing. Definitely. Um, and lavish is getting grasping at a similar idea there. Yeah. Okay, so that actually feeds beautifully onto my next question, which is about imagery in your poetry. So as I was reading your work, I thought... Um, so poetry, your poetry is both very um, 
very clear and very subtle so I think the images in your work, your poems do a lot of work um, and one poem that you pointed me to we'll, we'll put a link up to um, what's it called a week at at 5th and 45th is just a, um, a set of images mm -hmm. um, that say a lot about New York and you've got other images um, my my puzzle head is missing a piece you remember that picture I showed you of the tree that started off as separate trunks that grew together and apart taller and taller how do you know when you have a resonant image and talk to me about that sensation and what you do with it and how you get from image to poem um I mean I think an image can be really anything and for me it works if it's like alive and if it's true if it's something that I've seen or remember that strikes true to me I know I can probably make sense of it in a poem for someone else to read um and I'm not going to write about deer because I haven't seen deer and I'm not going to write about you know the moon unless I've seen it be really big one day and I read you know <laughs> it's like the most beautiful thing to say I'm not gonna write about the moon unless I have seen it be really big one day I feel we should all stick to that poets out there listening um I think it has no truth unless it, you've seen it do something really cool and um I read this poem by a 13 year old on Twitter this morning that said it was talking about Icarus and how Icarus had never stopped to eat jelly and I thought that was just the best thing I'd ever read and I I want to write a line like that, like Icarus never stopped to hold hands or eat jelly, and Icarus eating jelly is just perfect. And things that are dissonant are, I think, perfect. Images that are disjunct and make no sense, they're perfect. I think um, another writing workshop, someone mentioned that your image has to make sense with your theme and what you're talking about. So if you're talking about water, you should have a fish image, but not an image of fire. And I just don't think that's not the way that I want to Who write. Who made those rules? I think that's no very rules. silly. Um, no rules, exactly. I think if it's if it's living and it might make you laugh or it might shock you or it just seem strange, I think all the strangeness touch, is really great. You. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got to shift you some way. But, I mean, put the jelly in the poem. Like, it's not going to ruin its romanticism. It's going to make it so much clearer, you know? I think... Um, if it's if it's happened to me and if it's alive or even if I've just imagined it and um, or seen it on the internet, I think the image works if if I like believe in it and if it's not something that I've heard someone write about before in the exact same way. And I mm. think that's basically it. Um, and the randomness of it is kind of a joy to me. Like I don't really care about putting all the fish imagery in one poem, having a sea themed poem or something like that. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so Sophie, I have to say, it seems rather perfect herself. Um, would you read us another <laughs> poem now, please? Sure, I'd love to. She's scrolling through her phone. Like this a millennial. Like a millennial. Oh gosh. Um, this walking around, <laughs> like you, walking around like you rent the place. Exactly. Just like that. I love this bookshop. It's incredible. This is the world's most beautiful secondhand bookshop. I and agree. Those of you who are in Auckland or passing through Auckland, um, the, we're sitting at a table in the beautiful discussion room. It's full of books. There's tea, full there's coffee, books. there's um, there are three different kinds of outside. tea. This is a wonderful place, so come and visit if you get unlimited. a chance. I do love it. This poem is called Built. Today we walked a long way to get home. You counted fences. 
I cleaned the benches of flour and cut dough. Look at us, all fork and fingers and not in love, just sharing spit. I've never been good at spaghetti, but you whistle it in. How many years of us have touched these plaster walls, or how many of my hairs have been caught in this drain? Once, when you could fit an adult grip around your elbow, we shaved our forearms in the bath in bathing suits. We taped each other up after. Our wrinkled fingers shook. That day we imagined that if there were a disaster, some kind of car crash in my hemisphere or yours, we would live as sisters under the same light bulb and share guinea pigs. It never happened as cleanly as we wanted it to. Remember that picture I showed you of the tree that started off as separate trunks that grew together and apart, taller and taller? Maybe it wasn't even a real thing. We were a little bit like that, if you remember. Thank you so much, Sophie. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Anna. It's been so great. I've had so much fun. This has been episode six of Ears Wide Open, a project of the Open Book at 201 Ponsonby Road. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>